Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's ARKseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. Arcseedkits.com. Make sure to go to TimCast.com, click join us and become a member to support this podcast and all the work we do, and you'll get access to exclusive uncensored segments from TimCast IRL and way more. Now, let's jump into the first story. It's been a wild past week. We took off last uh, uh, Wednesday, starting on Wednesday for Thanksgiving. I hope you all had a good time with your family. And uh, uh, over this time period, there's a lot of news riots erupting in Dublin, which many of you may have heard about, but there are many developments. Conor McGregor is being criminally investigated for his criticisms of the policies in Ireland that led to a stabbing of several children that some media outlets are calling the nursery stabbing. It's pretty wild to see this happening. At the same time, you have France on the tipping point Once again, as there is a story about people screaming they were going to stab white people, there is a girl in critical condition and the government is saying, please, please, everyone remain calm. In Ireland, I believe it's in Ireland, it's it's, it's, it's a lot going on. They've got riot trucks, water cannons prepared for the angry citizens. And what is the media saying? The far right. Tommy Robinson got arrested in the UK for simply being in London where a protest was taking place. Or I shouldn't say protest or rally against anti-Semitism. The video is wild. And Geert Wilders, like the Trump of Netherlands, I guess they call him, wins. Something interesting is happening. And there's a lot of sentiment from individuals uh, that were shunned and shut out maybe only six, seven years ago. You have the indigenous population of Europe quite outraged over the failures of immigration, the increasing crime, and it's starting to become more and more prominent. That is to say, the white natives of these countries are starting to express political shock and disdain to the point where there are riots. Now, I don't think it's fair to say, you know, they, they, they try coming out in the media saying these are far right looting and riots. And uh, some of these videos showing looting, they're not locals. OK, they're not natives. But let me, let me, let me make this point. You're not going to play this game with me, leftists, okay? They, they, in the United States, talk about indigenous rights and oppressed versus oppressor. Look, in Europe, in Ireland, the Irish are the indigenous. I don't know how long a people has to be in a country before they're the indigenous people, because, of course, people move around all the time. But uh, that's the argument, right? But for some reason, the modern left in the United States doesn't extend the same sentiment to the indigenous of Europe when they are concerned about large groups moving in and colonizing. It's funny how that works. It would seem that the real issue with wokeness is simply just they don't like white people. 
And that's always been the case. When we see people say, oh, we're for, you know, ending racism. And then what, what does the left do in the United States? They create white and non-white meeting groups. Dearborn, Michigan has people of color and non-people of color digital meetings. I think it was in Seattle, they have a library saying, this space is for people of color only, and this is for non-people of color, basically segregating the races. I think the reality is most people on the left are just racist, and they are using people's concerns and genuine sympathies and people's gen- genuine resentment of real racism against them so that they can be racist. But we've got a lot to break down. The main point here is the media is reporting that the quote unquote hard right has started winning across Europe. Let me tell you a story. This past holiday week, I was hanging out with some friends and uh, one of these individuals, a friend of a friend, happened to be from the Netherlands. And there were two big issues that this individual who was fairly lefty, I'd say, you know, uh, moderate in, in many ways, but like moderate left leaning. This woman told me, that immigration is causing everyone to go right. They are they're pissed about it. Even even as someone who is kind of lefty saying these these people are coming from outside the country, they're being given benefits and we're working and people are tired of it. And this person also told me as an LGBT person themselves that many people in the Netherlands are in Holland are sick of LGBT stuff being everywhere and they're just done with it. And I thought that was interesting. This person's kind of left leaning. I wouldn't say perhaps by European standards, but I, I suppose in America, we would call that fairly moderate. I think people need to understand this. Europe is not as far left as the American left makes it out to be. There are certainly far left elements. There are certainly pro-immigration elements. There's certainly wokeness. No, I'm not saying they're not. But it's interesting. If you take a look at the issue of, say, abortion, you know, most countries in Europe, I think the abortion uh, is abortion is banned after 16 weeks or something like that. I think it's 16 weeks in Holland. I'm not sure. In the United States, you've got states saying up until the point of birth. And when I mentioned this to this, uh, this young uh, Dutch woman, she's like, that's crazy. Why would you do that? Nobody would do that. And I'm like, well, in the United States, they certainly are. And she's like, man, <laughs> like, what's wrong with you guys? But here's what's happening. A tipping point for France. But it's a tipping point for Europe. The people who are there, who are from there, are getting fed up. And you can see it. And I'll show you how. There's a video I saw over this past week, and it is a person asking the people of, I believe it's Galway, Ireland, what do you think the most popular name in this town is as of 2022? The most popular uh, uh, boy's name for 2022. And all these guys are like, oh, in Ireland, eh, Jack, Richard. Women are like, hmm, John. And then one guy goes, it's probably Muhammad. And then the interviewer is like, you are correct. And then that, what? And then one by one, people are like, what? Muhammad? Now, look, man, I don't care what you name your kids. But what's happening now is, you know, people like their stories. People like their history. They like their traditions. We as human beings strive to eliminate the bad and keep the good and iterate until we get things better. That's what we do. But this means that there are certain things in terms of traditions and morality that we retain because they have been successful. That's why when I'm, you know, I'm having that conversation with Stephen Mars, he says, morality doesn't matter to me. And I'm like, listen, morality is a component of we did something that worked. We will keep doing it until it doesn't. And that's not always a good thing. 
But it means that parents are saying things like, hey, I don't want my kids exposed to these things. I like the values we have. Maybe it's going to church in this place or whatever it may be, because it led to the success we see today. Now, what's fascinating is we've got bank branches closing. We've got economic recession. We've got war. Things seem to be worse than they've ever been. And at the same time, we have people abandoning tradition. Now, in reality, I think a lot of tradition is bad. A lot of it. I don't, I don't know if I can say most uh, or, or all or certainly not all, but a lot of tradition is good. And what happens now is you have the far left eliminating it for the sake of progress, regardless of whether or not progress is good or bad. Let's start with this story. and We'll break down. We'll give you this, uh, this recap a little bit. I know a lot of you probably already know this story about the riots in Dublin, but for those that don't, uh, I'm assuming you do because this is a week ago this story comes out. We have this. Three young children were among five people injured in a knife attack in Dublin on Thursday that sparked riots in the city center and which people have not yet ruled out any motive over, including whether it could be terror related. It seems to have been. Public transport was suspended and patients advised not to travel to a nearby maternity hospital unless absolutely necessary after clashes between riot police and anti-immigrant protesters who arrived at the scene of the attack beside the main thoroughfare of O'Connell Street. Now, here we go, baby. Conor McGregor speaks out. This is the this is the update. These are the updates we're getting. This is again last week. We got a lot to cover. Irish police investigate Conor McGregor over riot tweets. MMA star tweeted he did not condone violence and told his nation's government to ensure Ireland's safety or I will. This is the game they play. You get you get a terror attack, a stabbing, children killed, riots. Why? Because people are pissed off. Conor McGregor is furious and he calls them out. Why? The riots are the problem. Nobody wants to live in riots. Riots happen for a variety of reasons. Conor McGregor speaking out is because of the rights. He does not want the rights. He wants peace. He does not want the violence. See, that's the point. And then what they do is they say, you're inciting. And they come after those who are challenging the failed system. Yo, they're trying to rewrite government. But how did the media respond? Oh, boy, y'all are going to love this one. The Washington Post. Oh, I, I should I should add this, too. But before I get into it, I want to show this. The Washington Post. Dutch election shows far right rising and reshaping Europe. I had this here for a reason. Geert Wilder is winning, showing you um, the shift that's happening. But here's what the Washington Post had to say. Online rumors claimed the perpetrator of a stabbing attack was an immigrant. The BBC found that the man was an Irish citizen who had lived in the country for 20 years. Police blamed a lunatic faction driven by a far right ideology for the riot in Dublin. Here's another story by The Washington Post. Far right protesters burn and loot in Dublin in worst violence in decades. It may be the same story, to be completely honest. And they say this in the first paragraph. Right wing protesters angered by a stabbing attack they believed had involved someone of immigrant background rampaged through central Dublin on Thursday night, leaving behind a trail of burning destruction. Interesting. They believed. Here's my favorite part. Community notes getting this one right on Twitter, on X. The man is indeed an immigrant. He was originally from Algeria. The Washington Post segment appears to conflate citizenship with not being an immigrant, and you can be both. Fascinating. The guy was an immigrant. He stabbed children. People are angry because get this. The man was supposed to be deported some 20 years ago. 
It's another morning, and you're all set for work. You grab your coffee, head out the door, and your car decides today's the day it won't start. Panic sets in. You're not just late, you're stranded. Get ahead of unexpected car repairs before they strike with CarShield, the most trusted vehicle protection company. For almost 20 years, CarShield has saved millions of drivers from repair nightmares with low monthly plans that cover up to 5,000 major parts and systems, like pricey transmission and engine Engine repairs and check engine light mysteries. Visit CarShield today at carshield.com/carlson. Plans include unlimited miles, 24/7 roadside assistance, help with flats, lockouts, and rental car options. Save 20% and get a free quote by visiting CarShield online at carshield.com/carlson. Don't wait for the next surprise. Choose peace of mind with CarShield. Go to carshield.com/carlson and save 20% today. They didn't deport him. They let him stick around. Hernan, I'm sorry, Herman Kelly, those poor children in Parnell Square would be playing with their toys today if the suspected Algerian stabber was deported as ordered 20 years ago. Puts in focus legal aid to non-citizens for endless appeals. Irish Freedom Party solution. If you're illegally, deport immediately. Take a look at this. The Sunday Times has learned that the man originally from Algeria and in his 50s was arrested in 2003. He was due to be deported 20 years ago, but fought the order for five years and eventually obtained an Irish passport. He is a naturalized Irish citizen, originally from Algeria. So here's a man who was an immigrant. People are upset about it. You know, I said this uh, several years ago. I said in, in a variety of ways that the, the rising conflict, it can't be ignored. My fear was that if a, a, you know, here's, here's how I phrased it. The white majority of these countries and the United States can only tolerate so much until they feel legitimately threatened, and then you will be crushed. I am not saying it's a good thing. I am, I am not trying to support any of these fringe ideological fascist factions that want ethno states. No, I, I'd rather detest this. And I will tell you, certainly there are various groups and various ideologies, and to argue that any ideology is has nothing but bad ideas. Nah, look, man, we have to make sure we criticize and call out the bad for which there are some groups where it's like 98% bad. Don't get me wrong. But if someone comes out and they're like, we want border security, but they happen to be like white ethno-nationalists, it's like, okay, well, we can throw out the white ethno-nationalist part and agree on the border security. I'll tell you my position first and foremost, uh, as a person who comes from a mixed race family and, you know, some of these obviously immigrated to the United States, yeah, I'm not a big fan of what these these white nationalist groups have to offer because, uh, you know, my family, my and this is my, my parents experience this. You could not be married. You could not even live together if you were two different races until 1967. And even after that, you still had turmoil just because the Supreme Court said so didn't make it safe for you. Loving v. Virginia. Now, I can certainly understand why that's a great thing to uh, have enshrined by the Supreme Court or, or ruled upon. But it, it, that, is, that is not to say that every idea presented by a group is bad. What I'm trying to say is, look, you have groups that will argue certain things, will agree on some, disagree heavily on others. But the point is this. I can certainly recognize the benefits of these rulings for my family, for me, and I think most of you would agree, yeah, we don't want to go back to that time. Even older people today that I talked to are like, that's kind of crazy. It's like if you're like, a, like an Asian guy and a white you know, woman, like you couldn't even share the same building together. 
I think that's nuts. I'm not a fan of that stuff for obvious reasons. But here's where we are now. What I fear is going to happen is in the United States, what do you see? The population of the country is majority white. And you have over and over again, denunciations of just being white. Okay, well, that's obviously going to go in one direction. As the meme goes, it asks, uh, there's a meme that asks, why are there so many alt-right white nationalist young men? I want to say so many. I mean, what is this? A few hundred thousand active on the internet. Why is the sentiment growing? Why do some of these people have large followings? Why are we seeing these protest movements? Oh, it's really, really simple. You're an 18-year-old white man who started college. You're in debt. You're struggling. Your family maybe lost their house in the 2008 recession. I'm saying like, you know, let's go back 10 years. And you go online. And what do you see? All these major newspapers saying whiteness bad, white people bad, white people, white people, white people. You go to college and the professor says, well, white people. I got a segment for you later today. Uh, Tim Dillon made a joke about the confidence of 24-year-old white men. And I'm just like, no, I know Tim Dillon's not particularly woke, but this, this line, this joke, it, I, I understand why people don't like some jokes. Now me, I say this, yo, you can joke about literally anything you want to me. You know, we were, we were having really funny jokes uh, uh, over the holiday, uh, racial humor, whatever you want to call it. Everybody's making fun of each other and we all laugh about it, and have a good time. And it's actually, it brings us together when, you know, Seamus is Irish and I'm part Korean and, you know, we're making jokes at dinner and we're having a laugh about it. But I can understand when the when a joke is predicated upon a negative assumption about a group. I'm not saying you cry about it or cancel the, the, the comedian, but I think the underlying premises of these conversations could generate serious animosity. What I mean to say is, if you're a young white man who hears nothing from from your universities that white people are bad, that, you know, just insert bad things about white people, and then you go out and they're making fun of you for being white you're going to generate resentment. The same is true for any race. While we can certainly make jokes about races, and I think that's like Dave Chappelle made a joke about Chinese people. There is something to be said for young white men who are struggling, many of the suicide rates skyrocketing, lack of relationships, desperation, failure to launch. And what happens? They blame you for your race. Okay, so what happens? You go online, you find other people who are feeling negative because of this thing. And someone says, there's nothing wrong with you for being white. So what happens? They start building their own collective identity around this. And you will then end up with white nationalists. They're going to argue, as many white nationalists have, that if there are black identitarian groups, this is groups that base their politics off of their race, you will get the same thing for white people. And that actually used to be the norm. And it's been the norm for the world forever. Racial identity in government has always been the norm. In fact, in most countries, it still is in China, in Japan, especially here in the United States. It's going to come back in Europe. It's going to come back. Why? At a certain point, when you have children being stabbed in more a teen killing, look at this one. A teenage boy was killed at a dance party earlier this month. You had these 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 uh, individuals saying they wanted to stab white people. At a certain point, you're going to get white people being like, if you're attacking us, we are going to form collective blocks. I'm not a big fan of racial collectivism. The problem is most human beings in the world, some 90 plus percent percent are. That's a reality. The American left. Absolutely. No question. Probably the most racially collective group of people and ideology I've seen anywhere is the American woke left. 
where they want race to be everything. I'd prefer the classically liberal position of modernity, which is, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what your race is. That'd be preferable. Now we can have border security. We can have immigration and all of that stuff. And I'm a big fan. And if you want to come here, you come here legally. That's how you do it. And if you happen to be from Korea and you legally come to the United States and file your paperwork or any other country, be it Italy or otherwise, and you find love here with anyone, that's fantastic. And what happens then is you will have a family and your family will be whatever you want your family to be. And I'll tell you my problem with the woke left. It is not the American conservative movement that is advocating for segregation and attacking people based on race. It is the left. So what's happening now in Europe? The pendulum swings, baby. I got to be completely honest. I know that as a mixed race person, I can stand alongside all of these right wing, whatever you want to call it, white protests, and I'll be totally fine. 100 percent. I know that if I go to the woke protests and they say all that matters is you're passing as white, they will try to put me into a, a, a position of a, a, a submission. How do I know this? That's what Occupy Wall Street did. They say, you're not allowed to speak because you pass as a white male. The first thing they say is, you're a white male, you can't speak. And I say, actually, you know, I come from a mixed race family and, you know, we face very serious discrimination, slavery and all that stuff. And they go, ah, OK, well, you look white, so you can't talk. I've never experienced that at, at, at a conservative rally or. And the funny thing is, even when I've gone and interviewed alt-right people, they've never said anything like that to me. They're just like, we want, you know, borders and an indigenous population to be protected and blah, blah, blah. Again, not a fan of race based policies. But this is where we're currently at. French government urges calm. The death of a 16 year old named as Thomas has been seized upon by the far right, who portrayed the killing as a symbol as symbolic of increasingly insecure conditions in French society. Right. And what are people saying? It's up to the judiciary to render justice, not for the French public themselves. He warned Emmanuel Macron while acknowledging acknowledging the death of Thomas was the result of more than a simple fight at a village dance around 100 extreme right. It's not working anymore. It's just not working anymore. You cannot just keep calling everybody far right because my friends, Dutch elections shows far right rising and reshaping Europe. Oh, does it? Does it? Okay. When Austria two decades ago became the first nation in Western Europe to lurch to the far right since World War II, means nothing. One Belgian delegate skipped a lunch with the defense minister saying, I don't eat with fascists. Bye bye. I got something to tell you. If the far right is winning elections, eventually that's the center. The idea of far right is predicated upon this. The majority of the population or a plurality is far right. That's an impossibility statistically and mathematically. You know why? If majority of the population falls into one area, you would argue that the average person in this area is not far right. Right. You see what I'm saying? If 80 percent of a country says we agree with these policies and the media goes, they're far right. What you're really saying is you are the outlier far left of them. What the media is telling you is across Europe, it's not the hard right or the far right. It's the moderate right. These people are not the most extreme right wing ideology. This is not far right. A man who simply says secure our borders and entitlements and and, and, and fix the immigration problem. Those are moderate positions. The extreme position is round up the immigrants, every single one of them, deport them, ban all migration. 
Those are the extreme positions. The reality is what they call far right is actually the average. Let me put it this way. If 100% of the population all believed in border security, you would not call that position far right. You'd call that position centrist because everyone agreed. It is the normal. It is the average. What does it mean to be right or left? Well, you can make arguments academically that right wing entails these policies and left wing entails these policies, but that doesn't mean anything. Why? Left economically could be socialist, right economic, uh, economically could be capitalist, or it could be cultural. When they're saying left and right, what they're saying is in opposition to us. Have you seen the price of gold lately? It's hitting all time highs. And when it comes to investing in gold, check out Noble Gold Investments. They have a track record of excellence that's second to none. Just look at their thousands of five-star reviews on Trustpilot, Google, and the Better Business Bureau. Customers rave about their knowledgeable staff, smooth investment process, and life-changing results, which you can see for yourself online. That's the kind of reputation you can count on. But it's not just about the reviews. Noble Gold Investments truly care about their clients. They take the time to understand your unique needs and goals, and they give expert guidance every step of the way. That level of personalized service is rare in this industry. Look, when it comes to securing your financial future, you can't afford to take chances. Go with the gold company that has earned the trust of countless investors. Visit noblegoldinvestments.com slash Tim Pool today and discover why Noble Gold Investments is the only choice for smart, secure gold investments. Or call them at 877-646-5347. Again, That's 877-646-5347. If the majority or the plurality of a nation is in support of this ideology that is the average, by all means, you can say they're moving far right, and that's the argument, but I, I, I disagree completely. I think what this shows is in actuality, the media is far left, and the average person agrees with these views, meaning you can go farther right. Let me put it this way. Gary Wilder's not far right or hard right. That's so stupid. Hard right parties, they say. Relative to other parties, fine. I accept that. But again, if Geert Wilder's position is get a, get a hold on immigration, it's not even that extreme. You want to talk about the extremist version of that? Okay, let's talk about the extremist version. First, you have a guy saying, we're going to build a wall. Keep them out of this country. They can come legally. Okay, illegal immigration is not an extremist policy. If that is the position of the modern conservative and moderates and even many liberals, certainly not. It's that's not far right. What's the next step in that? You have someone coming out. We're going to we're going to deport everybody, every single one. That's more extreme, right? At first, you're saying, look, if they're here, we'll work with them. But we're going to we're going to cap off current illegal immigration. That's moderate. The next step is the conservative position of we are going to start arresting and deporting those who are here illegally. And that's not even necessarily conservative because many liberals would probably agree. It's actually probably just right leaning moderate. The next one you have is we are going to investigate and challenge the immigration status of people who are here because perhaps they did not come legally and their paperwork is not correct. Now you're getting a little more, quote unquote, right on the issue. And I'm not saying there's any legitimate standard here. It's just a more extreme version of the immigration policy. And you know what the end result is? You want to talk about the real far right that the average person would not agree with is where you're saying all immigrants will be investigated. Then you say all immigrants will face deportation questions. They must now re 
take their tests. Then you can go even further right and say, regardless of their status, immigrants will be given notices to to vacate. Then all immigrants will be deported. Then we will forcibly remove immigrants from their homes. Then we will forcibly relocate immigrants into camps and holding centers. And finally, the most extreme and horrifying position. You want to talk about how far right you can get. None of that is legit. The fact is, Geert Wilders and Trump, ain't nobody's talking about rounding people up in their homes and loading them on trucks. That's the extremist, psychotic and, and horrifying dystopian reality that they're trying to claim is happening now, but it's not. What's really happening is Trump saying, let's stop letting people in this country illegally. Hmm. Okay. What's happening in Europe? I see this trend, man. It's really fascinating. We were we were hanging out with Danny Polishchuk, the comedian. He's fantastic. He's funny. Hilarious guy. We were talking about uh, uh, we had the uh, Louis the 13th, the $5,000 cognac. And it might be more than that now. I think they're going uh, inflation's nuts. And uh, I was like, we cracked this open for the first time when Elon purchased X officially Twitter. And Danny was like, it was really funny because as soon as Elon, Elon bought Twitter, everybody just went to their they went men aren't women. And everybody left. Men aren't women. I was like, isn't it funny that you could be banned on Twitter for saying men are not women? It's a fact. Megan Murphy, writer and feminist, tweeted men aren't women, though, and got permanently banned. That's how far left and psychotic the platform and social media was. A shift is happening. They claimed the people in Europe that were protesting over immigration and violence and crime these these enclaves that are forming were white nationalists and far right. And some of them, yeah, of course. And what they'll do is they'll pick out the white nationalists and say, see, that's what you represent. Now what you're seeing is there are just people who live in Europe, in the Netherlands, who are like, dude, I just don't like the crime. Nobody's racist. Okay? Like there's, I'm not saying literally nobody. I'm saying the average person is not racist. But I want to show you why this sentiment is is, is popping up. Here's a video. Jack Posobiec tweeted it. Watch the reaction of people when they learn Muhammad is now the most popular uh, boy's name in Galway, Ireland. Of course, Elon Musk responded to this. And there's some interesting, uh, interesting stuff here. Let me play this clip for you. Richard, Richard. It was not Richard. Was it? Oh, fuck. Didn't see that coming. It wasn't Richard. No. Would you like to know what it was? Yeah. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll let you try and answer it first. I'd say Jack. I'd say uh, Muhammad. <laughs> You're correct. What? <laughs> Right. According to the CSO in 2022, the most popular boy's name in Galway was Mohammed. Oh, yeah. I, I, I read that somewhere, yeah. Okay. Wasn't expecting that, but okay. <laughs> wow. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, right. That's interesting. Do you want to know what it was? Yeah, actually. It was Mohammed. Mohammed? Oh, my God, yeah, it was Mohammed. I knew that, actually. <laughs> Ah, fuck off. It wasn't Muhammad. In Galway. <laughs> Muhammad. <laughs> oh, okay. Do you want to know what it was? Yes, please. It was Muhammad. Okay. Okay. Look surprised. Wow. Really? Elon Musk responded to this. True in most countries in Europe. Now, there is no longer a community note under Elon's tweet, but I saw it. And the community note said, it is not true. This tweet is misleading and it doesn't even crack the top 10 in most countries. The funny thing is, 
I tweeted this. Uh, oh, actually, I don't quite have. Let me let me. I'll scroll. <laughs> I'll pull it up. I I thought I had to pull it up. Uh, let's let's grab it. The funny thing is, Elon Musk is actually correct. He is he is for the most part correct. And so I called out the community note, which uh, contributed into uh, it being removed. I said this community note can f off. The number four most popular name in Europe is Muhammad. The fourth most popular name, Lucas, Alexander, Oliver, Olivier, Muhammad. Now, I got to tell you, I don't care if your name is Muhammad. I don't care if you name your kids Muhammad. That's not the issue. The issue is that for people from, say, Galway, Ireland, which it's the most popular name, you know, people like their histories and their stories, and they don't want to see them destroyed. That's just a reality. And people will fight to protect them. And you are going to, and they have, and they have a right to, and you're going to see this. What the far left and the media narrative tries to do is say it's about white people. No, not really. It's about culture and the things we like, the things we cherish. Let me tell you, let me tell you about something, my friends. I'm from Chicago. Nobody actually ever says Chicago, but uh, for some reason, people claim they do. Maybe they did four years ago. We say Chicago, Chicago. And then everyone, for some reason, says Chicago. No, that's that's like a fake thing that nobody does. But anyway, I digress. I'm from Chicago. And in the lovely city, we get quite a bit of snow. And there is something that many people from the Midwest and from places with winter, it's not just Chicago, they know this. There is a feeling you get on Christmas. The Christmas tree is up. The Christmas lights are on it. The lights are dim. Perhaps some candlelight. And it is snowing heavily. And you look out the window and you're sitting wearing your little Christmas sweater or whatever. And you're sipping hot cocoa. And this is not something that rich people experience. I was not quite rich growing up. In fact, quite poor, lower class. And uh, but we, you'd sit on the couch looking out the window, dimly lit, maybe 5 p.m., watching the snow as, uh, uh, as night begins to fall. And it's a muffled silence. The car sounds are muffled from the snow. And uh, there's a feeling you get. And, you know, it's funny. I brought this up on Tim Castile and everybody knows it. Everybody, everybody from these areas knows it. If you're from the American South or from somewhere with no snow, you don't. You don't know this feeling. But this feeling, it's something. It really is. And so there is a recently I saw on Instagram an AI generated video which created the most intense version of this feeling. I would say it's akin to some kind of nostalgia, some kind of like feeling of home. It was an AI video of a cabin with a full 20 foot glass wall overlook from the hilltop overlooking the town with heavy snow falling, a fireplace and a TV playing cartoons. And there's a reason why this video had like, you know, tens of thousands of likes and was being, you know, algorithmically pushed on Instagram because people from areas with winter know that feeling. Now, here's my point. These feelings you get. And, and many of you know exactly the feeling I'm talking about. It feels good and you never want to let it go and you want it again and again. And when you're sitting in these moments, sipping a hot cocoa with a loved one with the lights turned low and the muffled snow just before, just just during dusk in the winter, the clouds are out. So it's, you know, very dim, but you can see outside and the lights of the city. You want to share that feeling. You want your children to know these feelings. Something truly fascinating. Now, I think this is why people say I'm, I'm upset when I hear that Muhammad is, is the most popular name, because it's that thing you grew up with. 
that connection to your roots, to your history, that the feeling you get, it's it's going away. People are going to fight for that feeling. They're not going to let that go. But I'll tell you what causes this, and it's the lack of children. That really is what it is. You know, when I talk to somebody, it is unsurprising. People without children likely to have leftist views. Fact. I'm not saying they all do. Many of you watching probably don't have children. I don't. Uh, personal family stuff, working on it, but none of your business. And what I find is when it comes to like the issue of abortion, people who don't have kids don't care. People who have kids, pro-life. It's very interesting. People who don't have kids don't care that kids are reading smut in schools. People with kids freaking out. It's fascinating, isn't it? I talked to a friend and they're like, who cares if kids are reading these things? People should learn this stuff. And I'm like, you don't have kids. And like, no, I'm like, exactly. People with kids are like, I was terrified to see what my kid was reading. It's really what it's all about. Kids change a person. They make them want to preserve and protect. So what we're seeing in Europe, people aren't having as many kids. The politics is starting to change. But I wonder what will happen now with these riots. At a certain point, I'll go back to the point I made several years ago. A majority population is being attacked. In the United States, 65 to 70% of the population is white. And that's changing in many places. At a certain point, these people are going to think to themselves, we are being oppressed, but we're still the majority. And that's when something wild happens. Why is it happening now? In fact, perhaps the greatest gift to the white majority is the liberal left anti-white faction. Because here's what happens. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code POOL at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code POOL at checkout fastgrowingtrees.com code pool offer is valid for a limited time terms and conditions may apply it is true that white liberals are the only group of people with a out group with an out group preference so uh, we've covered this years ago hispanics black people asians and white conservatives have a slight in group preference for their own race. White liberals, outgroup preference. You have, and this is, this is a gift to, uh, to the white right. And I'll explain. When white people are 70% majority and they're marching in lockstep with what they, what they think and they want, but the American right doesn't protest or fight very hard, what do you see? You see the civil rights movement, you see the expansion of rights, and uh, good for not white people. When a faction of white people in this country turn and become anti-white. What happens now is what is truly the racial majority starts to function as a minority because they have a large portion of white people actually opposed to uh, 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 white racial collectivism. 
in fact, opposed to whiteness in general, which is substantially worse. I would say the majority of white people in this country are very tolerant of other races and oppose racism. And that's why we end up with the civil rights movement and where we are today. When a faction of white people, the white liberals, start acting against white people, instead of being tolerant, you get conflict. Now, what is still the white majority is fractured and is now functioning as a minority because white liberals are acting against the interests of white collectivism. White collectivists then start protesting. And here's my point. If in the minority, you have a hard time winning political power, but white people are the majority and the far left ideas opposing or critical of whiteness are the extreme minority, but they've made it into the mainstream. Why? Because they have support from other racial collectivist groups and identitarian factions. What will eventually happen is the default liberals who don't like being attacked for being white or criticized or killed start to side with the white collectivists and you end up with quote unquote white rights. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm not saying it should happen. I'm saying it's an, in, in, it is an inevitability if all of these different groups are aligning themselves against someone just because they're white. When schools say whiteness is bad and whiteness is the problem and the media and the universities are doing it, guess what? White people are going to internalize the attack on them based on their race. And then you get race based conflict, which we may see in Europe right now. But we will see. We will see. It seems like this week it may still get pretty wild. And it is the winter, which is wild because usually riots, they're not they're not they're not like common in the winter. But we'll see what happens next year. 2024 is going to be absolutely bonkers. And with more right wing parties winning, nationalism winning and even fairly left leaning European individuals telling me outright like people are sick of the immigration. Things may be due for a change. Disney is collapsing. Wokeness is failing. I think all in all, classical liberalism, nationalism, even the libertarians are embracing borders and pro-life. This is starting to win. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. The confidence of a white 24-year-old male from California is part of the line from a joke that Tim Dillon made. Eh, let me make something very clear for you guys. I don't care about the jokes you want to laugh at. I don't care about the uh, uh, jokes other people say. You can quite literally, to my face, make the most vile joke, even about me. And you're allowed to do it. I ain't going to cry about it. But I am going to whinge about this joke, uh, not so much joke, but uh, interaction from a Tim Dillon show that he posted the other day. And I'll tell you why. With 92,828 likes, Tim Dillon roasts a white 24-year-old man for being overconfident. And the audience laughs at it. And that's fine that they laugh at it because you're allowed to laugh at a lot of things. And not every joke is true, but they say every joke has its truth. The story here with this joke is that a 24 year old, 24, should not own a company, should not be successful. If they are, they're lying. Someone gave it to them. And everyone laughs as Tim Dillon says, this dude did not start a company. He works for his family. Maybe, maybe not. Let me play the joke for you. And then I'll break down for you what my concern is. I will state it not to bury the lead. This joke, in my opinion, exemplifies the failures of the millennial generation. Not Gen Z, not Gen X, not boomers, millennials. Tim Dillon's a millennial. He's a little, he's, a, he's four months older than me. 
And so I'm wondering why it is that you can get a crowd of people all laughing at the idea that it's impossible a 24 year old could start a company. There was a poll I covered last week where millennials say they need $500,000 in order to feel comfortable, whereas Gen Z, Gen X and boomers say 120 to 130,000, which is a bit more reasonable. It is, I believe at that number, it's where you're considered to be just above middle class to where you're saving up. You have two weeks vacation, clothing, health insurance, et cetera. 500 millennials are broken people. They tend to, and everyone's like, but Tim, you're a millennial. Duh. What? What does that have to do with anything? You're allowed to criticize if you're in a group or not. I'm not saying quite literally every single millennial is bad at what they do. I'm saying millennials as a generation tend towards entitlement, laziness, and a lack of confidence in their own abilities. Let me play it. Let me play this clip. We'll take a listen to what our, our, our good friend, I, I, I like Tim Dillon. I'm not trying to uh, uh, rag on him, but I think this idea should be, uh, should be criticized. Is it what we're getting sound here? What are you doing with your life, 24? What's that look like? A little stamp, good for you. Sell, sell some houses. You have your own firm. Development. You have a real estate development firm at 24 years old. That's it. You started a real estate development firm at 24 years old. Pause right here. You can already hear chuckling in the audience as Tim Dillon expresses, you started a real estate development firm at 24 years old. Really, you did. And people are chuckling. The premise already is that this 24-year-old could not have started his own real estate development firm. I'm going to break down for you exactly how he very easily could, but let's play some more. Let's play some more. By yourself. No, no one in the family's in it? Your dad's in it. And there it is. Everyone busts out laughing because his dad is in it. Okay. All right, let's listen to some more, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, go off on this. Laughing, laughing. He just works in a job. There's nothing wrong with that. His dad is a real estate development firm. And His dad is a real estate development firm and he works there. When did the kid say that? The kid said he started it and his dad's in it. And already the narrative has shifted. No, I get it. I get it. Dylan's trying to make a joke and laugh at everybody. So regardless of what's true, He's now saying, ah, here we go. But let me play more. And he works there. But I asked him what he did for a living. And with a straight face, with a straight face, he looked in my eyes and he goes, I have a real estate development firm. And I go, you started it? He goes, yes, I did. And then I go, so no one else in your family works there? And he goes, my dad. The confidence of a white 24-year-old from California is insane. Now, that's true. Relative to the average millennial, the confidence of this white 24-year-old from California is insane. And it apparently drove him to start his own real estate development firm. Now, Tim Dillon goes on to say that, uh, and again, you know, I, I'm sorry, like you're allowed to laugh. You're allowed to, uh, to, to find whatever you want to find funny, funny. He, uh, I don't find that that whole portion funny because you know, it grosses me out about millennials. OK, we don't all have to agree on what's funny. I get these people being like, Tim has no sense of humor, uh, dude, just because I don't find this one thing funny. Calm down. The next portion is pretty funny. He basically goes on to say, 
the kid was accused of rape. And so the dad was like hiring lawyers. And then it was like, we're, we're bringing you home and you only got one more chance or we're cutting you off. You're going to work for my real estate development firm. Okay, that's, yeah, that's pretty funny. Whatever. Here's what really bums me out about this. A lot of people are going to try and make that argument that, ah, oh, it's just a comedy show and they're all laughing and he's making, no, 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 listen, listen, here's my point. The premise of the joke initially is that a man, you're 24, you're a man, man, <laughs> it is, it is unbelievable that he started his own real estate company. Let me break it down for you, ladies and gentlemen, man, this breaks my heart. Let's, uh, give you an extremely realistic and plausible scenario for this 24-year-old. 24, dude. At 24, you are solidified, fully grown, fully developed human being, okay? You're not growing anymore. In fact, for the next several years, you're in a cellular stasis, and then aging begins. He is not growing up. He is a grown up. How do you have your own real estate development firm at 24? Well, there's the obvious that he may have literally just started it at 24. And he says, you started at 24. Dude may have started at 22. Now, I know there are many people who are like that. You can't do it. It's like, oh, man, let me slow you down right there. Let's try this. Uh, let's say the family has a family business and the kid starts work very young. And then once he's 16, he's, you know, he's getting he's a real he upgrades from like mailroom help where he's only getting 100 bucks a week, if that working for the family, about maybe 50 bucks. When I worked for my family business, which was short-lived, went bankrupt, didn't work out for us, but uh, I'd make something like 35 to 50 bucks a week, uh, uh, a week, and I'd work two days and it was most, it was most, it was almost all tips. I think it was only tips. And it was a family business. We all worked for the family business and I bought my own stuff. Now that was when I was nine, all right, nine to 11 ish. Let's say this kid is doing a paper route at 12 and he's making only a couple bucks, puts in his piggy bank, saves it. Parents help him start a bank account. Let's say he works a family job. At 16, they say, you're no longer the mailroom guy. Now you can drive. Now you're going to you're gonna work deliveries with our other employee. Now he's getting 10 bucks an hour. And so what? He saves it up, puts it in the bank, doesn't really ever need to spend it. Family's paying for food and shelter. Maybe he pays a little bit of rent. From 16 till 22, let's say he's working. And I'm not saying this is what this kid did. I'm saying, let me give you a realistic scenario. From 16 to 22, he's working. And he easily saves up $20,000. And I got, I'm sorry, man. I know people are gonna be like, what? How do you say? Dude, if you are working from, six, I, I, I personally know people who were low income in Chicago, who at the age of 19 had $10,000 saved. You imagine you're making a couple hundred bucks a week. You're working full time. You're living with your parents. Not everybody can do it. Okay. I'm not saying that. But then so within what, like a few months, you've got a grand saved up because you're spending money. I get that. So if you're working 16 to 22 full time, you can save up 20 grand. Then what happens? With his dad as a co-signer, he buys a house, puts, puts that money as the down payment. And they say, how are you going to make the payments? I work a job. I've been working for several years. I now make 15 or 20 bucks an hour. I'm an assistant manager. I can cover the costs of this of this hundred fifty thousand dollar property, puts in the work himself to fix it up and flips it. Makes another 20 grand, puts it back into savings. Now he's up, pays back the loan with interest, development fees, all that stuff. Maybe he's now sitting at 35, 40 K. He now says to the bank, I'm good for it. My dad's a co-signer. So when he's like, my dad is in it, 
What Tim Dillon is, is making the joke out to be is that his dad owns a farm and he's just there. A real estate development firm doesn't mean the kid is building $5 million mansions or skyscrapers like Donald Trump. It could mean that he got a loan from a bank, flipped a couple properties from the age of 22 to 24, working every day with guidance from his father, but he started it. It could be, and this is what people don't know, the first investment round for any business, friends and family. That's like legally expected, actually. They have a thing called uh, uh, accredited investors. In order to actually invest substantially in businesses, you have to make more than $250,000 a year or have a net worth higher than a million dollars. They may have changed it recently, but I haven't been in this space in a minute. At the age of, how old was I? 21. My friends and I started a company and we were uh, uh, doing fundraising and, and uh, uh, nonprofit marketing and we made some money and then ultimately we moved on from it. And at the age of uh, 23, I started another company doing mobile apps. And if I, if someone were to say to me, what do you do for a living? I'd say, uh, well, we started, a, uh, we have a mobile app development company. You have a mobile app development company at 23? Are you kidding? Yeah. Are, is that a joke? This is what bums me out. Two things. One, so the kid is working with his dad. How could that be? And I'm not saying this is the true story. It very well may be that his dad did everything for him, and that's fine. I'm saying we should not operate under this assumption. And the fact that everybody laughs at the idea is it's heartbreaking. OK, it should just be like, why is that funny? That's normal. Right. If someone came in and said, you know, so uh, what do you what do you do for a living? I mow lawns. You mow lawns? Yes, I, I, I mow lawns. Where? In my neighborhood? In your neighborhood, oh, can you believe it? This guy, you'd be like, I don't understand the joke. Like people mow lawns, the normal thing to do. The joke is that it's unbelievable. It's, it's laughable that this kid is actually just claiming it because he's an overconfident white male. Here's what it could be. The kid saves up, goes to his dad and said, dad, I want to start uh, developing real estate. And the dad says, okay, well, we're going to start small, right? It's going to cost 200. You, you, you can build a new house, maybe somewhere 150, $200,000. You're going to need the, you're going to uh, buy a lot. The lot might actually only be 10 to 20,000. What's your down payment? And the kid says, I've saved up. I've talked to the bank. I need a co-signer. Will you help me do this dad? And the dad says, you got it, son. Maybe the dad's nearing retirement. Dad's got free time. What does working with him really mean? It could be that simple. You don't need a dad to do it. You can do it entirely on your own. You can work from 16, putting yourself through school and saving up, not going and buying drinks, not wasting money, not partying, and just working really, really hard and sacrificing and sleeping on couches and have enough money for a down payment on a property, especially if you're doing something low, like five to 10%. Maybe. Maybe he went to his family and said, I want to start a real estate development firm. And they said, OK, well, you're going to need money. So his dad says, I'm going to invest $10,000 in you. The kid's got 10000 in savings. His dad invests 10000 The dad says, I'll help you uh, uh, with, with day-to-day operations. The kid goes and does all the work himself, and his dad helps. How crazy is the thought? That kid started the business. That kid is running things, and his dad is being a dad, providing guidance and giving a helping hand to his son to get his business off the ground. But it is laughable. This is my thing about the millennial generation. They, they, at 24, it's shocking to me. The idea at 24, you would not be running your own business. The assumption is you're just a kid who works for your dad. Here's the other reality. His dad went to the kid and said, I want you to start your own business. And the dad really, really pushed him. It's still the kid's business. If the dad was or was not there, here's another scenario. The dad's a deadbeat drunk 
the kid had to survive and find his own way. And then eventually when he's older, he says, Dad, I'm going to give you a job. You're going to work the front desk. You're going to handle paperwork for me. Don't screw this up. That's a reality, too. Very unlikely, in my opinion. But how sad is it that today the joke is if you're if your parents help you, you're working for them. If you're 24, it's laughable the thought that you could have your own business. That's crazy. The kid might not even need a down payment to buy the house. The kid might just get a business loan. Maybe the kid flips some properties, has money, has collateral. The dad co-signs on a business loan. The kid goes to the bank and says, here's how much we need to build the first house. This is the area. I've done my research. We're going to sell it and we're going to make money. And it's going to be in eight months. And the bank says, let's roll, baby. Why? We got a co-signer when he said his dad is involved. Not everybody has the luxury of having a co-signer with collateral. Generational wealth is a thing. I think it plays a significant role in the success of future generations. But it's just, it bums me out. Here I am. I'm somebody who worked really, really hard at a young age with starting companies and trying to build a business. And I, and I, and, and I hear this kid, he's 24, getting, and they're laughing at the idea that he could start his own firm. And I got to tell you, it's like, don't think that way, man. Bro, you can laugh at me and insult me any way you want. You can think whatever you want. You're allowed to do it. I'm just saying, this shouldn't be funny to you. We, uh, again, you can laugh. And some people are going to be like, no, I get it. He's goofing off. It's not true. That's fine. That's fine. What I'm saying is it should be normal to you. It should be normal. You should be like, why? I don't understand what the joke is. Tons of 24 year olds start businesses and succeed. That should be the normal thing. And I wonder, man, I wonder if the reason why there's a difference between millennials and Gen X or, or Gen Z is actually the Internet. I've told this story before when I'm standing, I'm walking out in front of VidCon, this big video conference. It sucks, by the way, but it's big. And I hear these kids they are like 10 years old. And this is like eight years ago. So these kids are adults now. And the one kid's like, you have 60 followers. How do you have so many followers? And, you know, as bad as it is to have this weird, in, in, in this like score in your life, some of these kids, many of them are growing up and they're seeing YouTubers be entrepreneurs independently wealthy and successful. And they're thinking I can do it too. And the only reality is if you're going to, it's going to be you. So a child 10, 12 years old is thinking to themselves, how can I solve for this to build a business and make money on social media? Whereas millennials are like, who can I work for? Because it's not possible for me to start a business. Millennials, a lost generation, just hands down a lost generation. But I tell you, man, it is what it is. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I know that a lot of people are going to respond being like, it's just a joke. Calm down. That's not my point, dude. You can literally make the argument that the dude was aided by unseen forces and laugh about whatever you want to laugh about. My point is simply, it should not be funny to anybody in any way. It should be akin to a guy saying, you, you woke up and brushed your teeth. This guy brushes his teeth. Everyone's going to be like, yeah, I, I, br I brush my teeth too. Like, <laughs> you'll chuckle. You'll be like, <laughs> yeah, he brushes his teeth. And we're having a good time here. But it should just be as mundane as possible that a 24-year-old man, an adult male, dude, I don't know. My first job was when I was like nine. I moved out when I was 18, was starting, uh, started my own company, several companies by the time I was like 21 or 22. I don't know why. It just bums me out. And I, I do mention this. There is this mentality among millennials, mostly millennials, that in order to make money, you have to get a job. And I've always been like, it, to make money, you got to convince someone to give you money. That's it. It's trade. 
I walk up to you and I say, how can I convince you to give give that money to me? But it has to be willful. So you can't trick someone and you can't force them. You have to give a real exchange. It's really that simple. You walk up to someone and say, hey, uh, hey, look at this. I got a tech deck right here. It's a pro model. It's got the little spongy grip tape. It's a lot of fun. I'll give this to you and you give me 10 bucks and we trade. Now, what if I said this is a rare limited edition, one of its kind, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't true. Criminal fraud, deceiving someone with the intent to steal from them. But there are certainly uh, nuances and finer points in sales. You can always embellish, but you can't defraud. That's really what it's all about. Can I convince you to willfully part with your money in exchange for a service or good that I may have? But too many millennials think I have to get a boss and get a paycheck at a job. Too many. I'm not saying every, too many. That's just not reality, man. You, if you're 24 and you're listening to this video, dude, you can easily start a company. There may be many of you who are like, it's impossible. I don't have the money. I got bad news for a lot of you. You were misled by older generations. And I get it. I really do. I really do think a lot of millennials were misled. Told to go to college. Let me break it down for you. You're 18 years old. And you go to the bank and say, I'd like a loan of $40,000. Let's say there's two 18 year olds. One person says, with that loan, I'm going to go to college. And they say, okay, what's your expected four-year return? Negative $40,000. What? The other guy says, I'm going to start a banana stand. And I'm going to sell chocolate-covered bananas and whipped cream and bananas foster outside a park. Okay, $40,000 invested in this business. What do you have to show for it after four years? I got news for you guys. The banana stand itself is a hard asset that retains the value. Now, he's going to need several thousand dollars for the initial product, which is the bananas and the chocolate syrup and this permitting and stuff. But for the most part, you can probably start a banana stand for substantially less. You have to get a lease from the city for the property. It could be a couple hundred bucks a month if you're in a certain area. You could do a banana cart where you buy a cart for maybe $7,000. It's got, you know, the internal working stuff for cooling and heating and whatever. And then you sell bananas on the side of the road, running your own business. And in four years, what do you have to show for it? The hard asset of the banana cart. And you've turned a profit and you've paid yourself. And over that period of time, you've bought things. You bought a car. You got a new cell phone. Those are hard assets as well. Meaning you will be net positive. Someone who spends 40 grand on college will be minus $40,000. And somebody who invests in a banana stand will be positive. Even if it's only 5,000, let's say they lose they lose a bunch of money, but they still retain $5,000 in the hard asset of the car. That means they are still better off than the college graduate who's negative plus interest. Isn't that nuts? You go to a bank and you ask for an investment. And, and if you said after four years, I'll have negative $40,000, they will have, they will say, have a nice day. You say, uh, well, our worst case scenario is we will retain the hard assets of production, which means I think we'll have a, we'll have at least $10,000 in value with the remainder of the money. We should be net positive. Here's our projections. Here's how much money we're going to make. Here's how much we're going to sell the bananas for. Here's the foot traffic. People love bananas. In which case, the reality is you're going to say, I think we'll be cash flow positive within the first week. We're going to pay off the remainder of this loan within two years. Portions of the money is going to go towards our income. There's going to be interest. You're going to lose on the interest. I think within four years, we're going to be cash flow positive. Plus, 
holding about $5,000 in assets. I think we'll have a net worth of around $7,000 in our little hot dog stand. But let's be real, four years, it's probably gonna be twenty dollars or $30,000 positive. The bank's gonna be like, sounds good to us. In the meantime, we've generated five k a year in interest and, and fees, and the business is flourishing. Let's roll, baby. I feel bad for millennials, man. I'll leave it there. Next segment is coming up tonight at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastirl. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. Disney is done. My friends, let me just start off by saying, get woke, go broke. Disney's latest animation flick, Wish, flops. Box office woes continue. I'll tell you why. The movie is um, communist. Okay, here's the premise of the movie. I didn't watch it. I'm not going to watch it. I watched the trailer. The general idea is there is a king who can grant wishes to anybody he so chooses. But he decides only some people are deserving of their wishes. And uh, this main character, I guess like his daughter or something, is like, I think everybody should have all of their wishes. Yeah. And then discovers the power to grant wishes or something. And then the king is angry because he's losing his monopoly on power. Get well, go broke, ladies and gentlemen. This is what Disney has become. They're failing. They have lost over a billion of their on, 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 on their past several movies. The Marvels, the worst box office bomb the MCU has ever seen. And now another bomb. Disney is done. I don't know how you save a brand this, this, this tainted and this damaged. But let's read about this, and then we'll talk about Get Well, Go Broke. TMZ reports another miss from Disney at the box office. The studio's latest original animated movie bombed with moviegoers over the holiday break, marking just the latest flop. Of course, we're talking about Wish with Ariana DeBose as the main character and Chris Pine as the big bad and a bunch of other cute side characters. Unfortunately, none of them were enough to cause uh, not were enough. Because uh, Wish only made $31.7 million through the five-day weekend. Yo, this is Thanksgiving movie. This is family time. This is crazy. Ticket sales were getting counted as early as Wednesday. But come Sunday, Wish had underperformed. Projections had it pegged at 45 to $50 million. It didn't do great internationally either. Just $17.3 million overseas, bringing its total worldwide haul of $49 million. In layman's term, the film flopped. And it ended up coming in third place behind Napoleon and the Hunger Games prequel. We were looking at movies to go see, and I was like, I don't want to see any of them. They all sound bad. This is not good news for the Mouse House, which usually dominates the Thanksgiving window. Up until last year, when their original animated feature, Strange World, performed abysmally. Ah, yes, Strange World. Once again, another woke piece of, of, of garbage. Disney had put out its hits around the time of year, including Encanto, Coco, and others, all of which made a crap ton of money right at the gate. What's strange is that Wish actually got good reviews and great audience reception, so it's unclear what exactly the problem was. It's possible the SAG strike, oh, please, I'll tell you, the commercials are like communism is good, and people are like, I don't want my kids to see that. It's that simple, dude. You can play any game you want. We got this from Zero Hedge. I like this analysis right here. Let's see, they say Disney's Wish, a theatrical bomb, and the latest in a string of woke failures. Is it time to declare the Disney brand dead? Only a couple of weeks ago, the entertainment giant suffered one of its worst box office showings ever with the failure of The Marvels, a feminist-driven girl boss movie which uh, was widely applauded by social justice advocates, but ignored by the vast majority of the public. The film is expected to lose $200 million to $300 million. Wow. once receipts are totaled. 
In a bizarre attempt at maximum cope, the media is hailing the Marvels as the largest ever theatrical opening by a black female director, when in fact, the movie is actually the largest box office bomb made by a black female director. Now, Disney's animated The Wish is set to top that failure, falling well below their predictions. Numerous reports suggest that Wish is opening to empty theaters across the country. Media spin doctors have attempted to jump ahead of the get woke, go broke accusations with articles claiming the movie is not woke, but more libertarian in messaging. This is, for the most part, a a dishonest deflection. The film's producers openly admit their woke methodology in a number of interviews, including their desire to inject diversity and inclusion messaging. While the woke intent is more obscure than previous films, Wish features yet another precocious ethnic teen female named Asha banding together with her diverse cast of friends to fight a revolution against the white male patriarchy. The main villain, of course, is a white guy named King Magnifico, who rules over the kingdom of Rosas, using the magical power to grant wishes. However, the king doesn't grant everyone's wish, only some. Asha believes it's unfair that all people should have their wishes returned or fulfilled. Perhaps a vague nod to the concept of equity. When Asha finds a magical power that threatens the king's monopoly, he loses his mind with envy and goes full board dark side control. Dude, if ever a movie could be woke, this is like they took a big cube of woke and put it in an expeller press and extracted the pure essence of wokeness. A white man who controls the power and a young diverse cast decide that they'll steal the power and supplant the white patriarchy that holds them back for no reason. There's also another movie, Elysium. Ah, I love Elysium. What a funny movie. First of all, Charlotte Copley, awesome. I really, really love, um, was he Kruger, the bad guy in Elysium? I think Elysium's a a good movie, but it is, I I do roll my eyes. Elysium, everybody lives in overpopulated squalor. All the wealthy people live in a space station of absolute beauty called Elysium, where they have these machines when you lay down, can cure any disease, can even regrow your face if it's been blown off. That actually happens in the movie. It's cool. Uh, Charlotte Copley's character, a grenade goes off, his face is splatters and they just dropped. And they're like, well, his brain's still working. So they put him in the machine and it regenerates his face. And he's like, crazy. Here's a funny thing. The story is basically, you know, Matt Damon is dying. He gets exposed to radiation. And if he could just sit down in this bed for only a few seconds, he'd be fine. But they won't let him because he's poor. Oh, oh. So in the end of the movie, he takes over the machine and distributes these beds to everyone in the world so that everyone can be cured of their diseases. And it's like, dude, this is the communist view of things. There is no such thing as scarcity. They believe they believe there's no scarcity and everyone can have whatever they want. They can't. Dude, grow your own food. Why don't you? And this is what we see here with this movie. This guy, the white patriarchy, could grant all of your wishes if he wanted. Do you know who did a better job of this? Bruce Almighty. When uh, Jim uh, Jim Carrey's character is like, why have you forsaken me? Then he meets Morgan Freeman, God, and he says, why don't you do my job better? And he says, "Okay." And so all of a sudden, Bruce has God powers. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, but he can't affect free will. And uh, what happens? He starts getting people praying to him, asking for help, and he can't handle it. So what does he do? He says, answer all yes. And what happens? All hell breaks loose. Some people have wishes that conflict with other wishes. Look, you got a sports team. You got you got the Cubs versus the Sox in the Crosstown Classic. And one guy says, oh, I wish the Cubs win. And the guy says, I wish the Sox win. So what happens? They can't both win. You can't fulfill every wish. And they're not negative things. 
It's not like one person saying, I want that person. No, I want that. But no, they're saying, I want my team to win a game. That's fine. It's not bad to wish for your team to win, but they both can't win. Someone has to lose. That's just balance. And this is the narrative. So what? The king is trying to maintain balance, but the propaganda of the movie is the inverse. You know what I think? You know, you know what would really do well? If we took this plot and we made the inverse, we made a movie about a king desperately trying to maintain balance, peace and prosperity for his people when revolutionaries decide to steal the power of magic and grant all of the wishes. Here's my version of which, which uh, wish, which would generate a billion dollars. The honorable king serves his people well. But there is a group of revolutionaries who think we should have the power to control the wishes because we are smarter. And they stage a coup and the evil vizier. Hey, wait, this sounds kind of like Aladdin says, I will take the power. And the king is supplanted now in Aladdin with the sultan was kind of dumb. But then the king is down and out and he's out of his castle and he's like, my country is falling into ruin. There's chaos. Everyone's getting everything they want, but it's causing imbalance. There's a lack of food. Inflation is through the roof. People are being a riot. And he was like, yes, there were problems under my rule, but we worked as hard as we could to solve them. And then a ragtag bunch reclaim the throne and push out the communists and the people cheer for the return of the king who saves the day. I think that will make a lot of money. And then they'd be like, we, we didn't understand. You look at Zimbabwe. They kick out all the farmers. Then they all start starving. Then they bring oh, the white farmers, by the way. Then the white farmers come back and they all start cheering. There you go, Disney. This is the movie you made. They said, while the story arc could be interpreted as criticism of centralized governance, the greater plot is far more socialist. The evil king is overthrown by the power of collective love. The queen sides with the revolutionaries and rules in his place and everyone gets access to equal wish fulfillment. It's a woke carnival sideshow. Critics also argue the film is mostly unoriginal, with an endless list of nostalgia references and characters' ideas stolen from better movies from decades ago. The most common reaction, it's boring. It's been the MO of modern Disney for some time now. They dig up the bones of the previous successes and try to reanimate them instead of making something new. Let me tell you, Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, classic story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, through the looking glass. They made that. Um, Snow White, classic story. You see, a lot of the Disney movies were classic stories that were then retold. Disney had some originals, of course, and they succeeded very much so. Aladdin is great. Street Rat, the vizier's trying to overthrow the king. What, what's the narrative here? That a wish didn't make him the prince and that he himself was worthy even if he was a lowly street rat? And then ultimately he makes a sacrifice to free the genie instead of saving himself. Such good messaging. Well, Disney, get what go broke. I'm fine with it. Angel Studios is doing really well. Really well. Daily Wire is doing really, really well. And they're not doing cringe Christian old school stuff. I remember back in the day, the Christian shows you like roll your eyes at. Now you've actually got good quality family content and entertainment that is not overly indoctrinating and religious. There's a, uh, the new movie Shift by Angel Studios is coming out this Friday. And there's a scene, and it's awesome, where uh, the story is a guy is ripped from his reality by the benefactor who says, if you work for me, I'll send you home and give you your life back. And the guy refuses. And there's a scene where he starts praying. And the bad guy is like, are you actually praying? And the guy just ignores him and keeps praying. Angel Studios brought up that there, there are a bunch of movies where people pray and it was considered normal. And now there's questions of people being like, why are you having him pray? That's so weird. No, I am not Christian. 
But the scene where the villain is like, stop, stop praying, stop, listen to me. I thought it was powerful and amazing. It's not about whether you believe in God. It's about his defiance. There's a man before him who has stripped him of his life and says, only through me can you get it back. And he says, don't know, don't care. I'm going to ignore you. An act of defiance that I thought was great. Religion is a component of it. I'm sure a lot of Christians really like it. I'm looking forward to seeing this movie. And guess what? I bet it's going to do well. (laughs) I bet it's going to do well. I don't expect these new Angel Studios movies to make a billion dollars like the Disney flicks because they're building something new from the ground up. But I do expect Disney to keep failing as long as they keep keep going. South Park made fun of them. I'll leave it there, guys. Sorry, Disney. Get woke, go broke. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. 2024 is going to be wild. It's over for Joe Biden. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen. It's too late to have a primary. The Democratic National Committee and Convention is going to be nuts because Joe Biden cannot win. I don't know how they have him step down. I don't know what's going to happen. We all have our theories and predictions. But yo, take a look at the story. Shame on you. Joe Biden gets booed and heckled on streets of Nantucket as protesters are kept away from the president after interrupting his earlier shopping trip. My friends, Nantucket is like a D plus 25. Biden won by what was his, uh, his margin was in 2020, 45 percent. The 2020 United States presidential election in Massachusetts by county. Am, am I getting this? Is, is, I feel like this has got to be crazy. Am I getting the wrong state here? It's Nantucket. It's, it's, it's nuts. Take a look at this. Nantucket, 5,241 uh, votes. I believe that the, that's the number. 71.42% Joe Biden. Donald Trump got 26. And uh, Libertarian Joe Jorgensen got 81. We can see the margin, 45% total votes cast, 7,338. It's a very small place. Joe Biden is being booed. Now, I, I suppose... You can make the argument that 26% of thousand people are there. They're going to boo him, right? They voted for Trump. But come on, we're talking about a deep blue place where Joe Biden is going shopping and is getting heckled and booed. Youth vote swings for Trump. Bank branches closing. The economy in shambles. Biden cannot win. Okay, well, I should say Biden can't win the hearts and minds of the people. Anything else? Yeah, I don't know for sure. I mean, who knows what elections are really all about? They're not really. I think the Republicans make the mistake of thinking elections are I'm going to convince you to vote for me, whereas Democrats make the distinction of saying I'm going to make sure we get as many votes as possible. A big difference. Let's start here and read the story. The Daily Mail reports Joe Biden was booed and heckled on the streets of Nantucket on Saturday, even as people protesting the war in Gaza were kept away from the president. The president's motorcade even took a different route from where it was staying. Wow. In, uh, into town to avoid driving past protesters gathered on the side of the road with signs saying free Palestine. These are not Trump supporters, ladies and gentlemen. A group of about 40 people calling for an end to the fighting in Palestine were kept down one end of the main street, about six blocks where Biden was shopping with wife Jill Biden and son Hunter Biden and their grandchildren. The protesters held a large banner reading ceasefire forever and chanted, the pause is just a pause, a permanent ceasefire, let Gaza live. You know, I, I just I just got to say, you know, I love this when they're saying a permanent ceasefire broke. Hamas is the one who's breaking the ceasefire. Come on, yeah, go ask them to stop shooting at Israel. Anyway, I digress. 
They say additionally, people in the crowds that line the sidewalk said shame on you and armchair murder as the president walked by while others booed. But there were also plenty of cheers mixed in with the catcalls as Biden supporters tried to drown out his critics. Biden does not have supporters. Sorry, you're not lying to me. It ain't going to happen. OK, uh, Joe Rogan is talking to The Rock and The Rock is like, you know, I got friends who support Biden. I got friends who support Trump. And then Joe goes, do you really have friends who support Biden? And then The Rock goes, no, no, good call out. That's a distinction. I have friends who support the Democrats and I have friends who support Trump. Yes, nobody. Come on, spare me the lies. Yeah, sure. There may be some people coming out. They're pro-Israel. And so they're booing or trying to drown out the pro-Palestine, perhaps. But ain't nobody sitting there being like, woohoo, Joe Biden. I'm sure they exist somewhere, but uh, few and far between. Andrew Yang tweeted this. The Democratic Party is like a football team with an 81-year-old quarterback, and the fans are begging for a quarterback change for the 2024 Super Bowl. But my friend, it's too late for a primary. Waffle Sensei, here he is. It's too late, Andrew. You've lost. Get desperate. Oof. Do Americans approve or disapprove of Joe Biden? Wow. 55% disapprove. 38.9% approve. He's in many ways, or I say in many, in many areas, worse than Trump at Trump's worst. Trump's approval rating was pretty low, but this is lower. Trump is ahead in five of six swing states. Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Georgia, and Michigan. In Wisconsin, Joe Biden's got a lead. And that's kind of crazy to me. Like, how does he have a lead in, in Wisconsin, of all places? And of course, oh boy. You see, on November 26th, when Andrew Yang posted this, Donald Trump was winning by 2.3 points in aggregate. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the latest from Real Clear Politics average. Donald Trump is up 2.6 points in aggregate. There is only a single poll, and I love this. It's Rasmussen of all polls. <laughs> That's kind of worrying because maybe they're the only accurate one, right? Rasmussen tends to uh, put out polls that are more favorable to Trump. Right now, as of uh, uh, November 8th to the 12th, Joe Biden is up four points among 987 likely voters polled by Rasmussen. We got some pretty good ones. Harris, with nearly 3,000 registered voters, uh, is it re yeah, registered voters? Trump is up six points. The Messenger has Trump up six points with 3,000. Morning Consult with 5,800, Trump is up three. I, I do not see how Joe Biden shows up to Nantucket and is booed and somehow manages to win in 2024. So what might happen? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Have you seen the story about masks in China? The mysterious new plague? Uh-oh. Look, a lot of people are saying don't fall for the new pandemic nonsense as the World Health Organization says everybody's got to wear a mask in China again. Doesn't matter if you fall for anything. What matters is people with guns showing up and shutting down voting booths and forcing a vote by mail once again. But before we get to that, let's talk about the basic reality of sentiment in this country. Now, I can tell you outright Trump's winning aggregate, but here's where it really matters. In this story from NBC News, a number of public polls show young voters turning on Biden. Just say the way it needs to be said, NBC. Young people support Donald Trump. You know what it is? I bet millennials are the ones who are voting for Biden. And I bet Gen Z are more likely to support Trump and they're causing this shift. Because I got to tell you, when you look at the when you look at the data, man, millennials. They'd be messed up.
But here's the story from just over a week ago. The NBC News poll isn't the only one showing Biden struggling with young voters. The latest national NBC News poll finds Joe Biden trailing former President Trump among young voters 18 to 34, with Trump getting support from 46 percent to Biden's 42. It's a striking finding, given that Biden won 18 to 29 year olds by more than 20 points in 2020. And Biden was leading Trump among 18 to 34 year olds by similar margins in June of 23 and September of 23. NBC poll says this is the important thing. You get Ian Crossland over here being like, the polls are pointless because they, they don't ask everybody. And it's like they are trying to make educated guesses using a, a sampling of the different demographics they have seen in polling. If we see a million people who are conservative vote this way and a million people who are liberal vote this way, we then ask 100 of each of these groups to see if we can get a sampling and make a determination. There is a margin of error, of course. The point is, however, it matters little when we're actually looking at the same poll. Okay, so here's what I mean. It may not be representative of the entire nation, but it is certainly representative of this particular group. NBC asks a group of young people, who you got? Biden, Trump. They say Biden. They say, okay. They come back a month later. Who you got? Biden, Trump. They say Biden. They say, okay. They come back a few months later. They say, who you got? Trump or Biden. They say Trump. What that shows is a shift in sentiment among this group. It is extremely unlikely the shift in sentiment exists only in the one group. It may not be a perfect representation of the entire country, but it does show that among young people, there is very likely a shift happening towards Donald Trump. I don't think it's fair to say that with Palestine, young people are jumping ship off Biden because that would mean they're going to support Trump. They may out be outright saying I abstain, but then you would see in the numbers X amount say neither or refuse, won't answer, don't have an answer. It may be many young people are actually kind of pro-Israel or at the very least opposed to Hamas. So when that happened and these leftists went out cheering on Hamas, a lot of young people were like, dude, I'm out, man. Like Michael Rapoport, this guy hates Donald Trump. And he comes out and says voting for Trump is on the table because of the Israel stuff. Now, they, they point out, to be fair, look at this. They, the margin of error was six points. Rather meaningless. Only 250 people. Fine. But this is the point I'm making. If they're asking similar groups and seeing a shift, the shift is what matters. It may be wrong, but the shift is what matters. I wonder if Rasmussen's right. And the narrative here is to goad Trump supporters into a false sense of security so that they all think, oh, we're going to win no matter what. And then they don't vote. Now, I tell you, charge is what you do when when you're on the battlefield and the enemy is breaking ranks, breaking ranks. You don't say, OK, I guess we, we pack it in. You say charge now more than ever. Everyone must go and tell their friends, their family members to vote. This is it. The surge Everybody fill out your mail-in ballots. You do whatever you have to do. You vote. You register voters. You ask your friends and family. Say, everybody got to register to vote. You got to register to vote. Storm the gates. They say, that means Trump's advantage among young voters in the poll is well within the margin of error, but the shift against Biden is not. You see, I'm making the same point. The NBC News poll isn't the only recent poll showing Biden struggling with young voters. Take a look at this. Amazing. Biden won younger voters. 60% to 36 over Trump in 2020, according to NBC News exit poll, a 24 point margin. His margin with young voters in a number of recent national polls has been significantly lower. And here's the shift, baby. In October, Biden was up three. In uh, October, New York Times had him up one. CNN 
had had. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got this backwards. I can't believe they're 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 they're. Wait, wait. So they're 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 doing this weird. They're doing this very very weird. I see. I see. No, no, no. I have it right. Right. Biden is up three in October. Biden is up one. Um, New York Times says October to November. Trump is up by one October to November, according to CNN. I love this one. CNBC, same time period, has Biden up 25. Certainly that's an outlier. Quinnipiac, November 9th, up nine for Biden. November, Biden is up seven. And NBC News, November 10th, the 14th, Biden is down four points. Trump is up four points. I tell you why it matters. In New York, we got some polls, my friends. New York State. Joe Biden is up by 10 points. Yeah, we talked about this last week, up by 10 points. That is terrifying for Democrats. But you might be saying, but why, Tim? He's winning by 10 points. Trump can't certainly win. Donald Trump down by 10 in a D plus 27. That means Biden is expected to have a natural pull of around 75 to 80 percent, 77 to be precise. And right now he's up 10 points. There is a shift. It is real. And I got a story for you to explain why. Let's keep it simple, my friends, from Zero Hedge. 64 U.S. bank branches filed to shut down in a single week. Huh. Now, I want to be honest. I think a large portion of these shutdowns are due to the fact that people don't use bank branches anymore. We used to need to go in to make deposits. Or, you, know, you, had your, you get your checks, you get your cards, all this stuff. Now it's all digital. It's all online. So a lot of these banks are like, why do we even have these branches if nobody's coming here? There's another harsh reality. As we are looking at crime and homelessness, you're looking at people facing economic strife. I learned this in Chicago. They just approved a one point six billion dollar resort, Bally's Chicago Casino Resort on the river in um, the River West neighborhood of Chicago. This is crazy. $1.6 billion into a casino. Something else happened. So I was hanging out with family. Someone mentioned they opened a new Bally's Casino in Chicago. And I said, what? Chicago can't have casinos. They've got River Casinos in Illinois. They've got Harrah's. They've got um, uh, Elgin. And they have another one. They have uh, <clears throat> Rivers in Des Plaines. But gambling in Illinois has always been tough unless you're on a riverboat because that's like uh, grandfathered in. Sure enough, we learned they did open a casino in downtown Chicago. Interesting. It's temporary. They took this old building. They put a casino in it. It's a temporary casino until 2026 when they open the massive resort in River West, a $1.6 billion facility. How is this possible? I ask. Here's my point. Where I live in uh, we're in the we we're in the tri-state Western uh, Maryland, West Virginia. You've got Hollywood Casino. You've got MGM National Harbor, Maryland Live, Horseshoe Baltimore. You've got the Delaware dog. Tra- I think it's a dog track. Is it racetrack? It might be horses. And that's uh, uh, about two hours, uh, hour and a half, two hours. Uh, not that far. You have Harrisburg, Hollywood. You have uh, Hollywood, York. You have Rocky Gap. And that's that's so that's eight. And what am I what am I missing? I, I know I'm probably missing another one. Rocky Gap. And uh, we'll just we'll just leave it at that. The point is eight casinos within a couple hours drive. Now, if I want to say within a one hour drive, you've got Hollywood, York, 
you've got three Hollywoods in P- you've got two in PA, one in West Virginia, and then you've got Maryland Live, National Harbor and Baltimore. There are six casinos within just about an hour of each other. The crazy thing is you can go from Maryland Live to Balt to Horseshoe in like 20 minutes. Casinos are fun. Playing games is fun, but it's usually about hanging out. You don't want to spend too much money, but in Illinois, they legalize slot machines. I saw this a year ago. I go to a bar and they're like, oh, that's been around for a while. They've had slot machines everywhere. Yeah, now there's hot spots. They're calling them. They're all over West Virginia. Here's my point, man. Young people are voting for Donald Trump. I'll tell you why. They can't afford their rent. They can't afford to have families. Many of them, don't get me wrong, are entitled, but not every single one. How is it that you have casinos which produce their, their it's entertainment? I got no problem if someone wants to spend 100 bucks going to see Taylor Swift for entertainment. Or if you want to spend 100 bucks playing blackjack and then you get some drinks and you go home, especially if the drinks are free. That's not what casinos do, though. There's no cap. People go in there and they lose a lot of money. How is it right now that there are so many people that casinos are making so much money that they can keep popping up and opening all over the place that there could be six or eight casinos within a couple hours of each other when young people and people are struggling in this country? Wealth inequality and wealth disparity. There are people who have the means to gamble and they don't think twice. Then there are people who are gambling when they really shouldn't. But that's not the majority. The, 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 the most people who are at the casinos, so, no, I'll tell you this, some people might play once or twice a year. And so they're getting a little bit of everybody. But to be able to lose money like that, when there are videos of young people being like, I can't afford food. We like to buy these salami packs. I mentioned this. We like to buy these salami packs. It's got three different kinds. They're very delicious. I love the red pepper one. And they're $12 a pack now. 12 that's crazy. Now we can afford it as a business, but yo, people are going to need raises. How are they going to afford all this? This is the crisis of the Biden economy. You can blame Trump. You can blame whoever you want, but Biden, the buck stops with him. When people can't afford to eat, bank branches are closing down and you know, people still use them. And they're like, why is my bank shutting down? Even if traffic is low, they should be able to stay open. Nope. Can't afford it. People can't afford to eat. Yet casinos are popping up all over the place. That freaks me out. It's like a sign of the end of times or like the society is collapsing. How many casinos you got in Philly now? Right. I think there's two right there on downtown. There's a Rivers and there's um, uh, Philly Live, I think it is. I'm probably getting it wrong. Then you got Atlantic City. There are people who can easily afford this stuff. And then there's the average person who can't. This disparity can't function. What's going to happen? Make the argument that Republicans and rich people vote for Trump. They're going to tax break. They'll vote for Trump. Then poor people are struggling and Joe Biden's floundering. They're going to vote for Trump. People want to live that lifestyle. They want to be able to go and gamble lots of money and just not have to worry about anything. But the average person's struggling right now and young people are struggling right now. So what's the response? Here you go, baby. Footage shows mask wearing crowds piling into an overwhelmed Beijing hospital amid fears over mysterious pneumonia sweeping the country. But China insists flu and usual winter bugs are to blame, not a new virus. This is the fear. Something's going to spring up and they're going to say swine flu. We saw that report. A man got swine flu. They're going to say something like the bat flu or whatever. Got to wear masks. Got to hunker down. We're going to have to vote by mail once again. That seems to be the play. But we'll see. I'm not so convinced. You got to watch out for the trial balloons. 
They'll run programs like this, see if people agree with it. And if the resistance is fierce, they'll back away and try something else. A-B testing, as it were, in real life. I don't know what they could possibly do to get Joe Biden a victory. I do not know what they can do. It seems like the only reality is that they're going to have to pull Biden out, bring in Newsom. Newsom can't beat Trump. He can't. There's not enough time for Newsom to build a narrative. They have to remove Kamala somehow. It just does not seem plausible. They'll try, perhaps. Or maybe Biden just runs and loses. And we get another term of Donald Trump. Maybe the plan that they have isn't so much that Biden's going to win. They know he won't. The plan is going to be. Once Trump is in, destroy him. That may be it. I got to tell you, the way to defeat Trumpism isn't to put Biden in an office that empowers Trump. Look at what happens under this failing economy and this political crisis. Biden starts to lose miserably. If Donald Trump was the president right now with this level of economic disaster and gas prices and everything, they'd be blaming Donald Trump. And rightly so. The buck stops with him. But when Trump was president, minus COVID, things were really good. The economy was booming and people were having a great time. They were spending money. People were working under Joe Biden. They're not. So you can whittle it down whatever you want. You can make any claim you want about who would or would not be a better president. But all that matters is under Trump, it was good. Under Biden, it's bad. And people take notice. So maybe the plan is once Trump does get elected, then they're going to start saying, oh, well, oh, geez, look how bad things are getting. The real subversion, the effective subversion would be to destroy the economy under Trump so that everyone rejects whatever it is Trump stands for. But I suppose we'll have to wait and see. Next segment is coming up at 4 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. New York City has a new law that bans discrimination based on height and weight, and it has gone into effect. And I am so, so, so excited for this. This is, in my opinion, one of the final straws for wokeness. It is impossible. It is an impossible task. Let me uh, let me explain. If uh, you're a a white person or black person or Asian person or male person or female person, it is possible to say, hey, no discrimination. It's hard to determine sometimes because let's say a black guy applies for a job. They say no job for you. He feels like it's because of his race. Well, good luck proving it. Most people probably just settle in court because they don't want to pay the legal fees because they're more expensive. But it's tough, especially when someone goes to the government and they say, represent me. And this means this person has effectively unlimited funds to go up against this company. It is not easy. But what if you are morbidly obese and very large and you say, I want a job here. And they say, you physically can't do the job. You're discriminating based on, uh oh, is he? Most jobs, I would say almost all jobs, except for like acting roles, anyone of any race could do or, or, or gender. Not all, not all. Gender is a little different, right? Let's say uh, you want to be a firefighter. There are firefighting jobs females can do and males can do. But uh, if we want someone to pull a body out of a burning building, you know, we're looking for a large ripped man to do it or a robot, I guess, if you build it. So are we going to have 300 pound firefighters who can't move? How are you going to fight a fire? Ah, doesn't matter. You can't discriminate on the basis of weight. Uh Oh, let's read. The New York Post says a new city law that bans discriminating against someone because of their height or weight went into effect last week, six months after Mayor Eric Adams first signed the legislation. The law adds those two categories to the list of characteristics that are unprotected, uh, that are protected from housing, job and public discrimination, alongside things like age, gender, race, religion and sexual sexual orientation. 
All New Yorkers, regardless of their body shape or size, deserve to be protected from discrimination under the law. Uh huh. Body size discrimination affects millions of people every year, contributing to harmful disparities in medical treatment and outcomes, blocking people from access to opportunities in employment, housing, and public accommodation, and deepening existing injustices that people face. New York City is leading the nation with this groundbreaking anti-discrimination law. Impossible! I'm so excited. Now, take a look at this picture here. We have a, a new city law that bans discriminating against someone based on their height or weight. Look how many people in this photo are obese. Let's see. Uh, I'm going to be real with you. The guy on the left, he looks slightly average to slightly high in terms of his weight. Uh, you have this woman. This woman is morbidly obese. This woman seems to be average. This man seems to be average. You've got an average woman, a man who is overweight, a woman who looks like she may be leaning towards overweight, but I can't see. She's blocked and maybe it's just a dress and frumpy, but maybe overweight. This woman is morbidly obese. Then this woman behind her, we can't see, but probably it looks like the majority of people in this photo are uh, 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 obese. The woman on the right, I, I hate to say it, guys, people are going to be shocked to hear this. The woman on the right is obese. She is not morbidly obese. She is obese. This is why they're doing it. Ah, yes. Now, let me simply explain to you why it is an impossibility. Let's say someone is transgender and it, they are very discernibly male, but they're wearing a dress and lipstick and they come to the job and say, I'd like to be a barista at Starbucks. OK, well, you can say, look, we can't tell you what you can or can't wear. That'd be discrimination. So the funny thing is, is it discrimination to say that a person can't wear high heels? Well, the work says everyone, regardless of gender, has to wear the same shoes. OK, fine. Fair point. Not discrimination. If they said you can wear whatever shoes you want and then told someone not to wear heels, then you could argue it's they're discriminating based on your style of clothing and your gender identity. But for the most part, someone who is trans can apply for a job and there is no reason based on being trans they can't do that job. There are probably some circumstances. My point is they say you want to make coffee, you can make coffee. Now, let's say someone is uh, very tall. Well, they can simply walk in and the person's not going to get fired for being too tall. You can still make the coffee, right? You're seven feet tall. You're good. Let's say someone is 300 pounds and they struggle to walk of their own volition under their own power. OK, now things are getting interesting. You see, based on the uh, non-discrimination based on disabilities, buildings have to have disability access, even in West Virginia. Let me tell you, my friends, we are trying to build this cafe. This building that we have has several floors. We want to utilize a side entrance and a second floor for additional aspects of the business, the club, which will include uh, uh, games and a skate shop and things like that. The problem? There's no way for handicapped people to get to the second floor. Thus, we are not allowed to do it. Seriously, that's kind of weird, right? They said if you want to open this to the public, it has to have handicap accommodation. OK, well, we have an elevator. But the elevator is one of the oldest in the country. It's an antique historical elevator we don't want to get rid of. And so it's not for use by the general public. We could strip it, knock it out, replace it with a modern elevator. That would suck. We're looking at potentially doing repairs to get it up to code. But it's still, you know, it's an old school elevator. It's got the crank. You, you turn it and it goes up. And so uh, we literally just can't open to the public. Think about that. We could create a public good a service for the public. But we have to be able to we have to build some. So like, how do you do a wheelchair ramp up to the second floor? The ceilings are 16, 17 feet. It's it's a lot. 
So there are options. There are the things where the chair can hook onto it and it goes and it drives up or we can change the elevator or whatever. But I'm like, wouldn't this city benefit from the business being here, even if a small percentage of people could not easily access it? No, no, you're not allowed. Okay, fine, I guess. What happens if someone comes to a Starbucks and they weigh 400 pounds and they have to be moved by a very large electronic device, a large scooter, perhaps, and they go up the wheelchair ramp and they can't fit in the door? I'm not being cute. You say, but Tim, there's so few people like that. Sure. And what's the percentage of people who are in wheelchairs who can't go upstairs? It is relatively small. We can't open a business because of that relatively small population. Now, don't get me wrong. We'd love to accommodate them. We want to make sure they can come here, too. But it's too difficult for us to actually sort this out right now. So we'll have to figure it out. That's why we're probably just going to have it be private, private only, not open to the public, because we just don't have the means to build that. Isn't it better that the place exists than doesn't? Okay. How are you going to be non-discriminatory when people can't fit through doors? Seriously. What's going to happen is stores are going to all have to switch to a double door system. I'm not exaggerating. Many businesses to avoid uh, uh, accusations of discrimination based on gender identity have gotten rid of men's and women's rooms and switched to instead of two big rooms with multiple stalls four individual rooms. I like the individual room. I like to close and lock the door and mind my own business and have privacy while I'm doing my business, if you know what I mean. But this is this is a big change. Some places in the, in Europe just uh, in the UK, particularly, they got rid of men and women's changing rooms. And now the showers for the pool is just do your thing. Why? Because we can't build two. We're not going to build a series of individual stalls outside. We're going to build a big shower room and you get to pick the stall, but you can be a man or a woman. That's the change. In New York, there will be someone who's morbidly obese And they're going to say, I was discriminated against at Starbucks because I couldn't even get in the building based on my weight. And they're going to say, it wasn't based on your weight, it was your size. Height is included. That means my size, doesn't it? And the courts are going to agree. Starbucks, you need to be able to accommodate people to fit through the doors. That's the law. So what they'll do is all of these businesses are going to shift They may grandfather them in because some businesses are grandfathered, but most have to have wheelchair access or somehow they'll be grandfathered in or what will happen most likely is they'll say you need to start building double doors. And that's what every business will do. Otherwise, you're going to get sued for discrimination against people based on their weight. I think it's absolutely hilarious and pathetic. Science has shown that body types is not a connection if you're healthy or unhealthy. Lie. Look at this. Authored a book about losing 35 pounds. I think it's a misnomer. It absolutely is. I heart fat New York. What does it mean to discriminate against someone based on their weight? Can a person who weighs 300 pounds, I don't know, be a firefighter? Sure. What can they do? Can they fit into into the uniform? Can they go into burning buildings? Wow. Can they fit behind the wheel of a wheel of a car? Can they fit in the trucks? So now Dump trucks, patrol cars, vans, fire departments are going to have to create special accommodations for morbidly obese individuals. And imagine this, a man who weighs 600 pounds and can only be moved by a crane is going to say to the city, it's not my fault. I can't move. I, imagine this. They apply online for a job. They say you're hired. 
They say, okay, I can't move. What's going to happen? The police department, the fire department, the city is going to say, well, we can't not hire them now. That would be illegal discrimination. So the city must provide a crane to move the individual. It's going to be fun. Good luck, fatties. I, I, I mean that sincerely. This woman loves fat New York. The fat people are fighting for their rights. I uh, prefer the stop eating garbage preservatives, cut out the carbs, exercise, and good luck. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then.